Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, we praise you. God, we thank you for this day. God, I pray you'd open our hearts, our minds, whatever it is you'd have us here. God, just give us the strength to live the way you'd have us live. We thank you for every opportunity you give us. We thank you for this day. Amen. I think we all watched uh, the news a while back when the I-35 bridge in Minneapolis went down. It collapsed. Uh, 13 people were killed, more than 100 people injured in that. I was reading the kind of the investigation around that, and initially they said that there were a lot of warning signs that were ignored. And the the bridge, they had declared... uh, structurally deficient a decade before that. And so in the final analysis, they said the cause was stress fractures. If you look up stress fracture in an engineering manual, it says hidden hairline fuses in a bridge, pillar, and foundation. Sports Illustrated a while back had a uh, feature article on stress fractures in athletes. And uh, They said that the stress fractures begin when the the shock and strain of of playing game after game creates these microscopic kind of cracks in in the bone. And uh, they said if the pounding continues in those tiny little crevices, which often they're not even able to detect, that if you don't allow those to heal, then what happens is over time they enlarge, And when the cracks become large enough, finally it causes pain, and those are the stress fractures that they have. I think I've shared before, back in 1975, back in the dark ages, when I was uh, a wee little one, (laughs) I was playing uh, soccer. I ran uh, cross-country, and I'd ran a couple marathons. And uh, I started kind of getting an ache in my leg, and uh, I, I'm not normal, if you haven't figured that out, for one. Uh, I'm weird, and uh, I can't really feel pain the way people, most people do, and so I, it was a strange ache, and I kind of shrugged it off. I didn't think much about it, and one day I was coming up the steps at our house, and my leg just gave way, and I sat down on the steps, my my leg was kind of numb, it felt odd, but as my coach always said, Damon, suck it up, you'll be okay, and so I kind of said that to myself, and the next day I was at school, and it was after a soccer game, and I just collapsed in the locker room, and come to find out, I had shattered my femur, and I uh, ended up spending quite a bit of time in the hospital. I was about six weeks. I was in traction in the hospital and then spent about four months in a spica cast, which is a cast up to your chest, which meant my dad had to carry me around. Now, we, we kind of laugh about it uh, these days, and we did uh, a couple years after that. He, he ran my leg through a gla- the glass window in the, in the front of our house, and uh, one time he left me up on the counter and he went to go do something, and then he ended up mowing the yard, and I can't get off the counter, nobody's home, and, you know, that's why I'm so messed up these days. But, um, you know, it was just, 
we, we laugh about it uh, today, but at the time, it was a serious problem. And it's something that could have been avoided had I listened to those warnings. If I had to stop for just a moment and said, you know, what's going on here? This isn't, isn't right. Newsweek uh, had a cover story, and on the front of the cover it said, college presidents, coaches, working mothers say they're exhausted. And then you open the magazine up inside, and it says, we're fried by our work. We're frazzled by our lack of time. Technology hasn't made our lives easier, just busier. And it says, no wonder a fourth of us, catch that, a fourth of us say we're exhausted. We need to chill out before we hit, big letters, breaking point. If you look at people's lives today, people are pushing themselves to, to the nth degree. There, there's this constant stress and pressure and it's a different kind of fracture, I think, that's taking place. It's not the kind of fracture that comes from a strenuous workout or exercise. It's not the kind of fracture that can be mended with a good night's sleep or that you can be set in a, in a cast to heal. It's, it's much different. It's a fracture that I think depletes the spirit. It kind of sucks life out of you. It's, it leaves you on the sidelines, it's a kind of pain that it just won't go away. You lay down at night and there's a restlessness in, in your spirit that life's out of control, that things aren't going the, the way that you had hoped or, or planned. And if you were honest, you would say, you know what, it's somewhat haunting. It, it just won't go away. And it's interesting because people deal with this feeling in different ways. Some people turn to alcohol or drugs. Other people turn to uh, affairs. And, and what I find very interesting is as they're losing control of their life or they feel like they're losing control, instead of uh, taking in lowering the stress level and simplifying, guess what we do? We tend to up the ante. We, we tend to get involved in a frenzy of activities because we're hoping some, somehow that pain will, will go away. And I believe in those rare moments when we're alone, when we're silent, I think we're reminded that that's not how life's supposed to be. It's not how we wish it was. The, it's stress fractures in life. And I think when, we're, when we find ourselves in that condition, you begin to understand that you're not living the kind of life that God would have you live, that you were created for, that you're not becoming the kind of person that you long to be because you lack the strength, you lack the energy, and you lack the power. In fact, I, I would stand here today and say to you, I believe millions of people, literally millions, will never reach their full spiritual potential. They'll never come to, to know and trust God the way that we were created to. Not because we defy God and kind of put our fist in his face and, and walk away, but because we're stressed out, we're tired, we're too preoccupied to follow. I also believe we'll never become the kind of husbands 
and wives and parents that we're created to be because we lack the energy. We lack the energy to serve one another, to engage with one another, to engage in those needed confrontations maybe, to, to speak those words of affirmation and love, not because we don't believe it's important. We're just fried. We're just fried. And I think it's really important you, you grasp the fact that spiritually... See, I believe the evil one, if he can't get you to deliberately and openly just disobey God, he's going to plan too. And he's going to make you so busy and so unfocused and so exhausted that either way, you end up missing God's plan for your life. You end up failing to become the person that God created you to be. And if you don't remember anything else that I say this morning, I want you to hear this. Weariness is not God's will for your life. Living a life with fractures is not part of God's plan. You know, Jesus came to teach a better way and another way. And one day, Scripture says he was looking at a crowd of people, probably a crowd like this. Not as good looking as you guys, but he was looking at them. And they were broken and tired. And and Jesus makes this statement. He says, come to me, all of you, who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what simplicity is all about. The next few weeks, we're, we're going to be looking at dealing with stress, dealing with busyness, looking at how our priorities and our values play a major role in how we live life. And I'm hoping that through this that we will kind of reclaim our lives and, and simplify. And today what I want to do is a little bit of just evaluation. It's some diagnostic work that I think will help us as we're moving through this series. Uh, And and today I want to talk about burnout. I was laughing, I said, as I'm putting this series together and as the teams were working on on sets and music and all that, we all got burned out getting ready for this today. So, uh, but it's interesting. How many, and I'm curious, how many have ever played the game Sims? Anybody? Okay, there's a few hands. Yeah. Sims is kind of, uh, it's like make-believe life. And actually, there are some people that have had to check out of life because they got so involved in their computer game, they quit their jobs, they've, they've left their spouse. I mean, it's crazy, crazy stuff. But what I did, I got the game, and I created a, a Sims Damon and a Sims Cindy. And... Uh, this is uh, just a little shot. I'm in front of the espresso machine there. Surprise. But in the game, you, you have to manage your house. You have to work at relationships. You, you eat. You drink. Uh, you have to take a bath. You even have to go to the bathroom. It monitors all this stuff. And sleep, and you've got to work a job. You've got to go interview for a job. You've got to recreate, manage your time, schedule. But it's a game where you get to decide. And you've you got to kind of keep tabs on, on the meters and, and 
down, down at the bottom of the screen, there's little meters down there that kind of monitor your emotional and physical and relational health. And what's interesting is if it gets out of balance, the sim, the, the person that exists on there becomes very difficult. You know, when I was first playing it, uh, I've, got, I've got my my character on there, and I wasn't watching the meters. And things got out of control. I mean, my character, I would say, go to bed, and it would go... It wouldn't, it wouldn't go to bed. It was drinking way too much espresso. And I didn't make that happen. It just did. And as the meters got more out of balance, it, it became crazy. I, uh, at one point in the game, I, I got offered a job as a popcorn vendor at the circus. And I, and I thought... Well, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I'm waiting for a better job. Well, the meters got out of balance, and now my character won't get a job. I'll, I'll go look for a job, and it just sits there and goes like this, you know. I'm like, look at the newspaper, you know, and uh, it just refuses to do what I want it to do. Now, the good news is Cindy is really well-adjusted in the game, and she's got lots of friends, and she's doing stuff, and, you know, the game's getting easier because I've been watching the meters, but I still haven't got it all figured out. And uh, I got thinking about that. It's kind of like real life in the sense that I, I've become more convinced as I get older that you've got to keep an eye on the meters in your life. And so we're going to take a little bit of a health check today and look at how do you know if you're struggling with burnout? What are, what are some of the indicators in life? And I'm going to ask you to rate yourself, to, to really think about where you're at as you do this checkup. And I'm going to, one would be like, uh, no problem, I'm a one. No problem, I've, I'm good on this one. And 10, being the high end of the scale, that's me. It's got my name written all over it. My life is way twisted on this one. And so I'm going to encourage you, get a pen out, a pencil, you know, borrow one from a, from a friend, you know, unless you're too tired, and then just sit there. Um, but let's look at some of the symptoms. One of, one of the things that you find when you're burning out is life becomes a dead run. You know, I said this to you, I, I'll watch people come in on Sunday morning, and they, they, they race in and sit down and they do one of these, ah, you know. And that really tells me it's been quite a morning already because we run so hard and there's this constant sense of rush, rush, rush. There's not enough hours in, in the day. Too many things to do, too many responsibilities, too many obligations to juggle. There's just not enough time, and to be honest, I think it's almost epidemic in our society today. I heard about a, a guy, he was following a, a Petco truck, and at every stoplight, the driver of the, the Petco truck, he'd, he'd get out and he'd take a two before and he'd hit the side of the truck, and then he'd jump back in and he'd drive to the next light. He'd jump out, he'd take the two before, hit the side of the truck, and jump back in. And he, he did this over and over and over and over again. 
And curiosity got the best of the guy that was following him. So at the next light, when the driver jumped out, he jumps out. And he goes up to the delivery driver, and he says, Hey, I've been following you for a while, and I see every time you stop, you jump out, you get a tube before, and you're smacking the side of your truck and getting back in. What's up with that? And the guy said, Well, you know, I've got two ton of canaries in this truck, and it's a one-ton truck. And so I've got to keep half of them up in the air so I can keep going. Oh, uh, I didn't say smash the canary. Here's my question. You ever felt like that in your life? You got two ton of stuff, and you got to keep it all up in the air and keep it moving. Schedule's overloaded with this or that. The pace is accelerated. You're doing so much that at times you get a nagging feeling in your gut that the important things of life are not getting done. You ever feel like it's really hard to be present in the moment because you're really preoccupied about what you got to do down the road? tortured by the reality that there's no margin in your life, that if one thing goes wrong, if one interruption, one delay, that you're going to stumble and you won't be able to get caught back up? If that sounds like you, you know, you're going, that's me. That's got my name written all over it. I am on that treadmill. Give yourself a 10 right now. If... You're sitting there going, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. I move at a turtle's pace and I don't have anything happening. You know, then give yourself a one. And then some of you are probably in between there somewhere. But just think about that and, and give yourself a mark. Here's the second symptom you struggle making decisions in your life. You know, we are a society that loves options. In fact, experts have said that we're kind of on choice overload in our lives. And the fact is that uh, if you think about life 100 years ago versus today, it's kind of unreal what we juggle these days. I mean, uh, you think about just a simple activity uh, like washing your hair. Now, it doesn't take me as long these days because I got less of it than I did 10 years ago, but... You think about that, 100 years ago, you used lye soap. And if someone really young sitting next to you, explain it to them after the service. But that was the only option. You get lye soap. Now, there, there are over 2,000 different shampoos on the market these days. I walk in and look, at, look on the shelf, and, and it's crazy. I mean, you can get stuff for dry hair, for oily hair, for limp hair, for colored hair, for damaged hair, frizzy, curly, thinning hair. You know, you can get aloe, seaweed, henna's really popular right now. You can make your hair smell like any flower, any fruit, any vegetable, any herb that you want. You can get vitamin enriched. UV protection's the new thing you can get in, in your shampoo. Organic, and it goes on and on and on and on. I think about when I was growing up, we had uh, three networks. TV was pretty simple. <laughs> It's crazy now. Do you know there are over 200 channels? 
That means there's over 100,000 choices you get to make every month just to watch TV, and it's overload. Now, how many of you would say, you know what, I wrestle with indecision in my life? Anyone? Not sure? (laughs) I mean... Rate yourself here. One, or one's, I'm okay on this one. I don't have a problem. Or ten, you know, I'm struggling. I hate making decisions. It's just laborious, all right? Here's another symptom. There's a surplus of info and a shortage of wisdom in your life. We, we run ourselves ragged trying to master all this information. And and to be honest, you really can't stay up with it. It, It's overload. I I thought about bringing in all the manuals to devices that I've had to figure out how to operate that just exist in in my home. You know, to to operate the car or the TV, uh, remote controls, computers, programs that, that I use, my organizer, appliances, sprinkler systems, cell phones, I mean, it's just, it's crazy, all this information. You think on the health front, you know, no carbs, low carbs, uh, uh, cholesterol, HDL, LHL, you know, all these findings all the time. And the fact is, we are the most informed people that have ever lived on this planet. But here's the question, are we the wisest? Ouch. You know, Proverbs 8, 11 says, For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. I mean, it doesn't say information is more precious than rubies. I I think we get these confused. Information, wisdom. it's, It's not information that's more precious than rubies. Wisdom. Wisdom is. You know, the, the fact is, wisdom is understanding how to live life. It, it, it moves us forward. It, it's not something that you can learn overnight. You can't microwave wisdom. It's something that you work at over time. It comes slow. You can't catch it on the run. And, and so here, here's the question. Are you living with an increased sense of wisdom in your life? If so, give yourself a one. Or are you living with a sense of info overload? And you would say, you know what? I'm not sure my wisdom quotient is really increasing. Here's another symptom. Superficial relationships with God. Now now we're going to cut really deep. We're going to get at the, the heart because inside, I think we begin to sense that there's a stagnation in our spiritual life, that our faithfulness to God, it becomes very sporadic. Sometimes we're at church, sometimes we're not. And even when we are at church, sometimes we're engaged and sometimes we're not engaged. Our prayers are kind of on the run. And if the truth were being, was known, you're not growing in your faith. Not because you don't want to, because you're too tired. 
and consequently, you, you stagnate and, and you stop developing. And that your relationship with God takes this major, major hit. And, and what you are faced with is the real possibility that by the end of life, you'll still be wrestling with the same junk, the same sin, the same destructive patterns. And so rate yourself here. A 10, I'm skimming the surface and I know it. Or one, no, I'm fully devoted, I'm connecting, and my relationship with God, it's, it's, it's running deep. It's going good. Here's another symptom. A de- decreased ability to love. Because you're fried. Because you don't have the energy to care and serve and, and love. I believe there are a lot of people that are suffering from burnout. And what, what's going on is they've really got a compassion fatigue or a relation fatigue or patience fatigue or a politeness fatigue. Have you noticed the world isn't quite as polite as it used to be? Courtesy is kind of out the door. I think it's because we're too tired, not because we don't know that that's the right thing. How many parents we got here? takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of energy to be a parent. And how, how often, if you were honest, do you face those moments where you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I know right now my son, my daughter needs my attention. I know they need someone to talk to. I need to have a conversation. They need my presence. They, they, they need some discipline. But in that moment, you're just not able to do it. Not because your heart's not in the right place. You want to give, but you just can't because you're empty. You lack the energy to do it because you gave that energy somewhere else. You know, rate yourself here. You know, if you've been sitting going... I can't believe he's making us do this, and I'll give him a piece of my mind after service. Just give yourself the 10 right now. Just go. Boom. You know, love quotient's decreasing. Not good. Apathy and and anger fuse is short. You know, give yourself a 10. Or if you're able to look and say, you know, I, I think my love quotient is increasing as I look at the last few months. And I regularly show love in word and deed. All right, now, here's what I want you to do. Tally your numbers right now. Just tally your numbers. 50 is the most you can have. That's not a good thing. In fact, I would tell you, if you got a 50, I bet I could sit down and show you that you have a life that's a train wreck, that relationally you, you have wrecks all over the place if 50, if 50 is what you're running with. 25, that's half-life. Warning signals should be going off. In fact, I would suggest to you, if you got 20 or over, that you should be paying attention to what's going on. I doubt that anybody's got single digits, but if you do, I applaud you, because that means that's awesome, or you're just clueless and you're in denial. <laughs> you know, That could be, too. You know, and if, if you turn to your spouse and show them your numbers and they raise their eyebrows, that probably means you're in denial. 
All right, now I won't embarrass you, but how many of you, as you look at that number, you're sitting there thinking, something needs to change in my life. Let me see your hands. Come on. Here's what I want to say to you. If you keep operating the way you're operating, your heart's going to get smaller. Your spirit's going to wither. Your sense of joy will evaporate if it hasn't already. And your ability to love will disappear. And if you operate that way long enough, you will turn into lifeless people. And that is not what God intended. That's the way the world works. I think that's the evil one's plan. But there's another way. I mean, Jesus said he came to give life. Not steal it, but to give life. And I didn't want to leave you like hanging because I'm thinking right now we feel pretty awful. You know, it's like, oh. So I want to give you a little bit to take home with you that begins to address this issue in our lives. Psalms 23. David was a king. He was a warrior. He was a a guy that he was busy, had a lot of pressure in his life. And he writes maybe some of the most famous words ever penned. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Those lines are statements of faith by David. It involves a kind of choice on how he was going to live his life. And David decided, and I want to suggest that we need to decide if we're going to follow that spiritual wisdom. Because if you do, the result, Scripture says, is He restores my soul. And the first thing he says is, the Lord's my shepherd. David says, that's a decision you have to make. Have you put your hands, or have you put your life in the hands of the God that created you? Have you made God your shepherd? You know, sheep belong to the shepherd. They follow the shepherd. Have you ever asked God to be your shepherd? to to help you in life. Because the alternative is no shepherd, constant anxiety of knowing that you've got to do life on your own, that you're going to face issues on your own, you're going to face problems on your own, you're going to face death on your own. Whatever's going on in your life, you're going to do it on your own. Life without a shepherd means a life of worry. You worry about the future, you worry about your kids, your grandkids, your job, you worry about your health, you worry about the crisis that you're in. You know, anybody ever worry? I mean, how many of you have discovered that worry is constructive, that it's life-giving? No, it's just the opposite, isn't it? It will choke life out of you. And when it takes over, it gets a life all its own. And I think we live in a society of people whose faces are marked by this constant anxiety. 
But Scripture says there's another way to do life, to, to live in the constant care and protection of a good shepherd, the creator of this universe. And David understood this. I mean, David understood because he had been a shepherd in his life. And he understood that the fate of the sheep was determined by how good the shepherd was. There's a great book, uh, Philip Keller. He's a 20th century shepherd, which just kind of strikes me as, as odd in, in our day and age. But he, he writes and says, sheep don't understand how to take care of themselves. Sheep require more attention and meticulous care than any other class of livestock. Now, that's basically a way of saying sheep are dumb. <laughs> they don't get it. They have a lot of needs and they absolutely have to have a shepherd in their life because the shepherd's guiding the sheep, is caring for the sheep, protecting the sheep, watching over the sheep. And you and I have a God that cares so much about us that God watches over us, God cares for us, God provides for us. But you know what, friends? You have to ask God to do that. James says you don't have because you don't ask. You know, instead of worrying... Again, that'll drain you. Have you asked God to be your shepherd? To help you with whatever it is you're going through? You know, to say, God, I worry about my kids. Protect them. You know, God, give me strength for my job. You know, I've got a lot of challenges right now. I have a difficult decision to make. Give me wisdom. God, I need to have a hard conversation. You know, Give me grace, and let me say what I need to say. Turn worry over to God, but friends, you've got to pray. You've got to ask. Let God be your shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hmm. Is it possible? Is it possible to go through life joyful, grateful, content? You know, the, the alternative is discontentment. This insatiable desire, the, this never-ending quest for satisfaction. You know, I've told you before, companies spend billions of dollars trying to convince you of two things. One, you're not content. And two, you're one purchase away from contentment. TV, radio, magazines, you know, billboards, internet. You know, use me, buy me, drink me, wear me, try me, drive me. You know, happiness is just one purchase away. And friends, I'll tell you, that is a deadly treadmill. You can never run fast enough, hard enough, or long enough. And what I have found in life is just when you get close, it's gone. There's another way. God says, you know what? I understand what you need. I understand what you don't need in your life. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You see, the alternative to lying down in those green pastures is frantic activity, constant busyness, overcommitted lifestyles. And I think that's why it says, He makes me. God makes me. You know, I don't want to do it, but God will make me. How many of you have ever had the experience with your kids or your grandkids? My grandkids, I, I love it. I'll, I'll say something to them about it's time to go to bed. And they'll go, I'm not tired. Isabella, it's time to go to bed. I'm okay, Grandpa. Ethan, time to go to bed. I'm okay, Grandpa. 
you know, sometimes sheep won't lie down. They won't, they won't rest. And Keller says there's three reasons. One, if they're afraid. Two, if there's tension. They're, they're very social creatures. That is, they butt heads. There's a pecking order, and that all has to be resolved. Uh, and if they're hungry, they won't rest. They, they're creatures of appetite. And so basically it says until they're free of fear and, and friction within the group and hunger, they just won't go to sleep. And I think we're a lot like sheep. You know, we're, we're afraid, you know, what might happen. We're afraid of what has happened or what will happen. And it robs us of our rest. You know, we're in relational conflicts and there's tension, the friction. It's just exhausting and it keeps us all stirred up in, in our lives. It challenges us. And we're hungry. Hungry for love, intimacy, success, recognition. And it leads us to this frantic lifestyle that's run, 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 stress fractures in life. And Keller says, when a shepherd is really good, the sheep get comfortable. They get confident and they're able to rest. And I, I think David was saying, I have a shepherd that's like that. And even though we live in a world where bad things happen and things get twisted, David was saying, you know what? I'm confident in the presence of my Savior and my Lord. God's always there. And friends, I, I think we need to go to God and just say, God, I'm empty. You know, I, I'm struggling. I'm lonely. I hurt. I'm unloved. Whatever the, it is that we're wrestling with, because what I know is a God that will say, I'm listening to you. I care. I'll help you. I'll lead you. David says, where's he going to lead us? He'll lead us by the still waters. Sheep get really nervous when there's noisy water, when there's fast running water, because they intuitively understand that if the water's moving and it doesn't need to be very deep, that if they fall, their wool gets saturated and, and basically they'll drown. They need still water. They need quiet water. They just intuitively know that in their lives. We don't live in a quiet world. Anybody ever get tired of noise? You know, we're the noisiest culture that has ever lived. And what's interesting is even when we have a chance to escape it, we don't. In fact, I would suggest to you, not only do we endure noise, I think we're addicted to it to a high degree. You know, it's in, it's in the silence, it's in those quiet moments where I come face to face with my heart, where I come face to face with my life, and ultimately I come face to face with my God. And I believe we've got to build some silence in our lives. We've got to build some times to relax and reflect and be able to relate with God. You know, the psalmist, Psalms 46, says, Be still and know that I'm God. I'm exalted among the nations, exalted among the earth. Be still. Be still. Jesus said this in John 10, verse 11, following. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Here's how you know the good shepherd. 
when a thread, a bear, or a lion comes to the flock, a hireling will just run away. But the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Friends, God loved you and me so much. He sent his son to this world. Ultimately, Jesus would take deliberate steps to a cross that he'd be crucified on. He'd lay down his life. I mean, that's how bad God wants to be your shepherd, that he gave it all up. If you're sitting here today and you go, you know, I have trouble saying no to stuff. You know, if you're sitting here going, I find myself in these situations and I think, how did I get into this? You know, if you find you, you struggle with focus in your life, if, if you struggle, struggle trying to keep up, you, you know that you're one trip away from falling apart and things coming undone. You know, if you find you, you struggle these days trying to make just even simple decisions, you know, or you look at your relationships, whether that be with God or with your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or your neighbors, whatever, and you look at that and you go, you know what, I'm skimming the surface. I'm doing the superficial thing. If you're running so hard that you find yourself in those moments saying, does any of this really matter, what I'm doing? Or, you know what the right thing is to do, but you just don't have the energy to do it. You know, those quiet moments when deep in your soul, you'd have to say, I'm discontent. I've got a lot of discontent in my life. Or you'd look and say, things are out of kilter. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make it a priority to be here every week during this series because we're, we're going to look at simplifying. It's a better way. Specifically next week, I want to talk about how do you get off the treadmill that seems impossible to get off of? How do you slow the pace down? How do you get a grip on all the demands in your life? And we're just systematically going to tear this thing apart and try and get to the deep, deep yearnings of our souls. All right? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, I know there are those today that come and they're just worn down. God, there's such a deep passion in us to do, to accomplish. That sometimes we get running so hard that the stuff we're accomplishing just doesn't amount to a hill of beans. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that your Holy Spirit would just stir us and push us and press us to find a better way to find that perfect plan you have for us. God, we thank you that you're a God that you really do look and you know every little detail of our life. God, we long for just that simplicity that you offer. 
God, guide us. Give us strength. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.